You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You know, a good father wouldn't want his kids wondering if he loved them or not. A good father would not want his kids wondering if he was committed to them or not. When I go away on a, on a trip, how, how terrible would it be of me to tell my kids, hey kids, I'm, I'm leaving on a trip and I'll, I'll be back soon. Maybe. If I, if I think about coming back, I'm, I'm sure I'll come back. And while I'm away, I'll, I'll try to remember to, to bring you a gift. If I, you know, if I think about you while I'm gone and I remember to get a gift, maybe I'll I'll get a gift. I mean, maybe I'm going to see my real family somewhere else. I may just kind of forget about you for a while. But when I come back, you know, if I, if I do come back, I'll try to remember your names. And I'll try to, you know, remind you, if I remember to remind myself, to remind you that I, that I love you. What, what kind of dad would that be if I said, so kids, just, just think about all I've just said to you. And let, let that kind of sink in a little bit that I'll be back maybe. And I'll get you a gift maybe. And, and I'm committed to you, probably. And if I think about you while I'm gone, I'll, I'll try to bring something back to let you know of my maybe love for you. So you sit around and think about that, kids. Let that sink in for a while. Let that compel you to be very good kids while I'm gone, please. And so goodbye, see you later, maybe. I mean, can you imagine the, the lack of certainty that would bring to the heart of a child? I mean, they may have a short time of fear-based obedience, but that fear-based obedience to their dad is soon going to turn to rebellion or even, even father loathing. They're going to they're hate their dad because they distrust their dad. What kind of terrible dad would that be for son and daughter not to even be aware of the commitment of dad's love to them? Our God is the best dad. And he does not want you daughters and sons of God, concerned or uncertain or fearful that you might be orphans or that you might be forgotten or that you might be unloved. The entire essence of of 1 John can be wrapped up in this one verse you see on the screen behind me. 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you may know for sure, that you may have assurance that you will certainly know that you have eternal life. And as we've said the last several weeks, the most important question of your life is this. Do you know for sure that you have eternal life? Over the course of life, you'll ask yourself a lot of questions. Over the course of life, you'll ask people questions. Over the course of your life, people ask you questions. But this, this is paramount. Not really just the most important question of your lifetime. It is the most important question of your eternity. Do you know for sure that you, not the person behind you, not your grandmom, talk about you. Do you know that you have eternal life? Would you turn with me, please, in your copy of God's word? Let's go to 1 John chapter 2 together this morning. 1 John chapter 2, and let's go to verse 15 together. 1 John chapter 2, in your copy of God's word, you can share with somebody. You can go to your smartphone. It's on the screen behind me. 1 John chapter 2. Let's look at verse 15 together, starting in verse 15. Really, these three verses right here, 15, 16, and 17, is where we're going to be the majority of the morning. 
First John, if you're new to church or new to the Bible, it's the very end, pretty much, five books from the very end of the New Testament, five books from the very end of the Bible. First John 2, 15, the Lord says to us this morning, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with all those desires, along with all those lusts. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Look at verse 15 again. Do not love the world. Do not love the things of the world. Now, God is not saying here to us that as Christians, we should not love the planet or love the globe or love this incredible masterpiece that the Lord has made called the earth. That's not what we're saying. That's not what God is saying that Christians should not love. God is also not saying here that, that Christians should not love the, 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 the structures of this world, that the economic structures or the social structures of this world. Now, now, certainly God is a God of order. And I also know certainly that sometimes hatred and, and racism and injustice, they, they come into those economic structures. They come into the social structures of, of this world. And we certainly should have a, a huge disdain for that within the body of Christ or as the body of Christ, have a, a great disdain for, for racism and for injustice and for hatred. But really, the structures in and of themselves, we're not to, to hate the order of those structures. God's also not saying here to Christ followers that we shouldn't love the people of the world, all the people of the world. That's not what it's saying. What is God saying to us? He means that as Christ followers, we should not love the elements of the world that are in rebellion to God. That we should not love the things of this world that are built up against God or pushed back on the glory of God. What, 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 what are those things? Well, the list is found here in verse 16. It's very kind of God to, to make us a list for us to not have to guess what these things are. Verse 16 tells us these things. Let me just ask you this question. Maybe you want to consider this with me. Then what, what are these rebellious worldly things that we're to hate? that we are to not love as we love God. Here's the question. What are these rebellious worldly things? The first word is the word lust, and it could be the word desire. I know the ESV that I usually read out of uses the word desire, but a lot of your translations use the word lust there. Let me just kind of help us understand together this morning uh, how the Bible defines lust. And so when the Bible is talking about lust, what what is God saying to us by using that word? Well, the word in, in Greek is the word epithumeia, and epithumia, it really means like an excess weight, or it means an, an extra burden. So really, this is probably the best way to describe lust. Lust is a desire that has too much weight. It's a craving that, that controls you. It's a craving that controls me. And so it's a desire or a, a, a craving that we just have put too much weight. In fact, we've put all the weight on it. And it's beginning to bear down on us. And so the very first lust that John writes about here, the very first desire that John writes about here is the lust of the flesh or the desire of the flesh here in verse 16. Normally, this is a good thing that God has given and either humanity has perverted it or humanity has said, if I don't have it, I will not be happy or probably more likely than not, humanity has said, I will do anything I can even by breaking God's word to get that to obtain that. Let me give you a little list here to get us, get our minds going. The first one, because we always think of this when it comes to desires of the flesh or lust of the flesh is sex. 
a good thing given by God within the confines of biblical marriage, a covenant relationship between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. Work. I know you don't feel like it on Monday morning, but work is a good thing. Earning, earning money, earning, earning respect, uh, earning a good reputation, that, that can be a very good thing. Food, I'm a, I'm a big fan of food. Food is a, is a good thing. Control in that you're controlling your schedule, con- controlling your, your temper, controlling your responses, and even anger. I think anger can be a good thing when it's aimed at, at things that are, that are unjust or unjust, aimed at injustice. But now look at all those words and, and see how sometimes we can use those words or long for those words or crave those things that it almost feels like we're out of control as we crave them. They become such a desire for us that it's just a, a weight, a desire that has too much weight or too much value in our lives. And so we will, we will break God's law. We will break God's word. We will break God's heart to obtain these things, to get these things whether it be sex or the identity of a hardworking or, or, or earning things and finding our significance in our, in our earning or, or going beyond just the, the normalcy of food and desiring food and craving food or desiring control over everything and everybody or just angry all the time. Do you see how these things can all be lust of the flesh, a good thing that God has created that has become so important to you? It's become so important to you that you think you will not be happy without that list. John then talks about the lust of the eyes. Also, usually something good in this world, but we see that someone else has more of it and we resent them for it. And we will do anything we can do to get that. Even if it means breaking God's word, we'll do anything we can do to get that because we think by getting that one thing, we'll become happier, we'll become more satisfied, we'll find more significance in life. Let me give you a list of this. Money, possessions, relationships, opportunity. And those are all good things unless you're willing to rebel against God to get them. Those are all good things And we all like those things unless someone else has one of those things in greater quantity than we do. More money, more relationships, more things, more possessions, more opportunities. Then here comes that desire that has all this weight. It's a craving that begins to control us. We have lust of what we see in other people's lives that we do not see in our own lives. What are these rebellious worldly things? Here's the second thing that John talks about. The word of the Lord tells us about it is pride. John defines it in almost all of your Bible translations as the pride of life. And here's how I'll define it for you this morning. The pride of life is finding ultimate confidence in accomplishments, wealth, talents, intellect, and titles. Like finding your ultimate confidence, your ultimate significance, your ultimate joy. In fact, the greatest joy in what you have done, what you have accomplished, the wealth, the things that you have gathered in, your talents, your skill sets, your intellect, the titles that that either you have earned or someone else has given you. This is what pride of of life is all about. And really, when you boil it down, the pride of life, I I can make it one word, idolatry. Idolatry is when you love something more than God. Idolatry is when you depend on something more than God. Idolatry is is when you think about something more than God. Idolatry is when you obey something more than God. It's anything in our lives 
that is God with a small g. Idolatry. In fact, it's interesting how John wraps up this entire book. Of all the 66 books of the Bible, I think it's one of the most abrupt endings to any of the Bible books. Go over maybe a page or two to the right and look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. I love how John just kind of, kind of wraps this thing up. Verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. The end. We're done. Like it's like, oh, okay, good, goodbye. We'll see you soon, I guess. Little children, beloved, those who belong to God, just keep yourselves from idols. Maybe he was considering what he had just written back here in 1 John chapter 2, how pride of life, that really is idolatry. I'll say it again, it's, it's anything or anyone that you love more than God, anything or anyone that you depend on more than God, anything or anyone that you obey more than God. So I think this morning in these three verses, there's actually three things that the Lord is saying to us. And I assume that's why you come to church to hear what God says to you. So let, let's see what, what God is saying to us. Here's the first thing. You're gonna write this down or consider this with me. Idolatrous love of this world is an indicator that God is missing from your life. When you have made something in this world your idol, something that you love more than God, that you depend on more than God, that you obey more than God, an idolatrous love of anything in this world that's built up against the glory of God, that's built up in rebellion against God, is the indicator that God is missing from your life. This is what it, it is saying here in, in verse 15. Do not love the world. Do not, do not love the things of this world. If you will, do not love the idols of this world. For if anyone loves the world, then it means the love of the Father is missing. The love of the Father is not in him. Your heart, you see, is created with a capacity for God. But if God's not there, you're going to crave something else. It's not a matter of if you worship. It's a matter of who you worship or what you worship. Madonna. I just lost about 35% of you, I know, but Madonna. <laughs> she, was, like, she was the big star when I was growing up in, in high school and college. She was kind of like, um, I mean, Lady Gaga, but with not as much vocal control or vocal range. She's kind of like Celine Dion, but with more skin showing. That's the best way maybe for me to say that was, that was Madonna. She was like, she was the top of the game. And I know all of you are probably at least aware of her, but she was, when I was growing up, child of the eighties, like she was, was a big deal. And there was an interview that, that she gave uh, several years back, kind of, kind of toward the end of her, of, of the height of her career. And here's what she said to Vanity Fair. I, I even wrote this down on the screen uh, for you to see. She said, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. And that is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, but then I feel like I'm still mediocre and, and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. And my struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. Her net worth, $800 million. She has more top 10 hits than any other artist in the history of music. Elvis was second, I think she had 38. Elvis was second with 36. The Beatles were third with, with 34 top 10 hits. And I would say she's probably more honest than most church people are. She was striving, she was pushing. She wanted so badly 
to win the approval of others. And you know what's something true about Madonna and me and everyone in here? We all want to hear somebody say, well done. We all crave some kind of approval. We wanna all seek some form of being satisfied with ourselves and life. And really what the desire is, we just want to have satisfaction that will last for eternity. And if you don't choose the love of God, you will choose the love of something. I need to say that again. If you don't choose the love of God, you will choose the love of something and it will be lesser than God. That's why Augustine said that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. There's a big question I wanna ask this morning. This might kind of be the pinnacle of of the morning, the crux of where I wanted to head with this this sermon this morning. It's a big question, it's an important question. In fact, so important, I'm gonna put the question on the screen as as I read it to you. And here it is. Please take inventory of your heart as I read this. Could it be that all of your fears and all of your straining, or maybe I should have used the word striving, all of your self-seeking ambition, all of your dissatisfaction and all of your worry and jealousy is actually pointing you toward the fact that you have never repented of your idolatry and come home to the love of God? Could it be? There's some people in here that God loves deeply would allow you to consider in his grace right now that the reason you are so dissatisfied, the reason you're always pushing for someone to approve you, the reason you're always jealous of others and you're striving and striving is because you've never repented of your old life and turned to Jesus. Here's the second thing I want you to see in in this passage this morning, the way to overcome the world, and there's a lot to overcome, I think we've determined this morning, the way to overcome the world is by faith, stepping into the love of God. You see, this is what, what John was saying here in, in verse 15 and in verse 16, that we don't love the world, we do not love the things of the world, but if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is, is not in him, and it's not from the Father, the very end of verse 16, but instead it is from the world, so the way to overcome the world, and I'll say it again, there's a lot to overcome in this world, there's a lot to overcome in your week. How do we do this? We do by faith, stepping into the love of God, and you step into the love of God, listen carefully, by stepping into the cross of Jesus. The cross of Jesus is the highest declaration of the love of God towards you. It's the greatest demonstration of God's love for each one of you. It's the cross of Christ, and by stepping into the cross of Christ, you will find meaning. You'll find something better than what the world has to offer you. First John chapter five, would you go back a couple of pages again, just to the right, first John chapter five, if you don't want to, it's on the screen uh, behind me, if that's too much effort to turn one page. First John chapter five, verse, <laughs> verse four, did I say that out loud? If you wanna go there, that's great. So also gonna be on the screen behind me. Verse four, first John chapter five, for if anyone, or for everyone, excuse me, who has been born of God overcomes the world. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Being born of God, verse, verse four, means that you have been brought into his family. The only way that you can be born of God, brought into his family, is by believing in Jesus Christ by putting your life into the life of Jesus, asking Jesus to forgive you, 
turning away from your old life, then Jesus signs your adoption papers and you're brought into the family of God. Verse five, how do we do this? By believing that Jesus is the son of God. Then you are born of God. Then you have overcome the world and there's a lot to overcome in this world. Here's the third thing. First John 2, 17, let's go back to our passage. And this makes so much sense to us. And I'll be honest, probably more sense every, makes more sense every year that I live. And the world is passing away. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides or lives forever or has eternal life. Here's the third thing I want you to consider, maybe write down or think through with me this morning. Everything you give up in the world to follow Jesus, you'll exponentially gain in heaven. Everything you've had to say no to, everything you've had to lay down, everything you've had to walk away from, everything you've had to repent from, everything you might lose in this world, you will gain exponentially in heaven. Everything that you've had to lose to follow Christ in this world, you will gain exponentially in heaven. So whatever idol that you've given your life to, to obtain, you're gonna lose it. Death is gonna take it away. Your empire, and it might be a very small E empire, but your empire is gonna crumble. You know, one day I'm going to pass away. I'm going to die. My family will gather. They'll eat fried chicken and then they'll spend all my money. Like that's just, that's just how it's going to happen. <laughs> You've been to a funeral also, right? I mean, you eat a lot of food. Then the kids start asking how much is in the checking account. And about three or four more generations down, my name will be this faint memory. One or two more generations after that, they've never heard of that name before. I mean, the world is passing away and all the desires in it. But those who make God their God, who build their lives upon the unshakable kingdom of Jesus Christ, they will have full life in this life and eternal life in heaven. It is the most important question of your life? Do you know for sure that you have eternal life? Would you stand with me, please, and let's pray together. And Father, we would ask this morning for you either to give us confidence right now if we're in Christ, or tell us right now that we're not in Christ. For those are the only two options. Those who have Jesus have life. Those who do not have Jesus do not have life. Cut and dry, black and white. And God, your word has come to us this morning. It's helped us to do an inventory of our lives, whether we have this confidence and this assurance or not, whether we know for sure or we're surely shaky. 
God, would you give confidence to those who are in Christ? And would you give courage to those who are not to step into the cross today? Confidence and courage is what we're asking for this morning, Holy Spirit. In the name of the Son, we pray together.